Chapter Seventeen of On a Donkey's Hurricane Deck. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. On a Donkey's Hurricane Deck by Robert Pitcher Woodward. Chapter Seventeen Darkest Hour Before Dawn. Yankee Doodle came to town riding on a pony, stuck a feather in his cap, and called him Macaroni. An old ballad. A county poorhouse on the road to Elkhart attracted my notice when I was about to pass it by. My outfit was recognized by a man raking the front lawn, and he urged me to visit the institution. So, thinking I might devote a quarter hour to the cause of self-education, I tied Mac in the yard and was shown through the dirtiest and most uninteresting building I ever inspected. Old, lazy-looking men with empty heads in full hands lounged about on benches, and several others in the hospital ward seemed to be trying harder to die than to live. One wrinkled but round-faced wench with a soiled bandage round her ears and forehead was smoking a well-seasoned pipe in the kitchen while stirring mush. I was glad to see the house prison empty. Five minutes indoors sufficed me, and bidding my escort a hasty adieu, I piloted Mac on to Elkhart. Arriving in the city, I at once procured a license to sell pictures on the curb, a precaution I had been timely advised to take, and one that was rarely necessary on that trip. Then, before going to eat and to rest my tired bones, I led the donkey to a prominent corner in the business center and began to sell. I had disposed of two photos only when a policeman with unusual pomposity ordered me away But I continued to make sales and as he was about to take me in custody Shook my license in his face causing much merriment to the crowd Soon the cheering attracted the mayor to the scene and he to my surprise not only bought a chromo But paid me for the privilege of riding macaroni the jack reluctantly consenting his honor got into the saddle and rode down the half-choked thoroughfare a block and back amid thunderous applause the profits from my sales did not meet my expenses including the cost of license so i hurried on to mishawaka where after supper i delivered a street lecture passed my hat and collected twenty-four cents i would yet be stranded in indiana at that rate mac advised me to leave town at once and we made for South Bend at dark, reaching that city by ten o'clock. And there, with only six dollars and fifty cents in pocket, I put up at a small hotel and tossed in bed half the night, wondering how I should save myself. The darkest hour is just before dawn, and it was about that time when I recollected having received, a few days before my pilgrimage began, a letter from a Mr. Adams of Chicago extending me an invitation to be his guest should i pass through that city it was one of many letters received at the time which i had not answered i now regretted my negligence but nevertheless next morning with due apologies i wired him to expect me on a certain train and planned for a week's absence the lenient hotel proprietor agreed to take care of my animals as security for my hotel and stable bill and then I purchased a return tickets for emergency and boarded the train for the windy city Trusting to a dollar and a half to my wits and to luck 
to carry me through as i stepped off the train in chicago a stranger grasped my hand and gave me a most cordial greeting laying for me eh first man i meet a confidence man i muttered inwardly but he was extremely courteous and offered to carry my saddlebags no sir i said politely i've carried them twelve hundred miles and can carry them three thousand more pod is your name is that right the stranger continued half inquiry half in surprise i thought as we walked out of the railroad station you bet it is i said emphatically just because you've plenty of wind out here you needn't think it can blow away my name well said he cheerfully our wind is said to be the best brood in all this country it may not be strong enough to blow away pods but i'll wager it can blow the peas out of them so far you never can find them the man's facetiousness interested me it bespoke his nerve tell me mister i said after walking several blocks where are you taking me anyhow oh just three blocks more then we take a cable said my escort as he made another futile grab for my countrified luggage when on the car this confidence man had the confidence to introduce me to a pal as the new york gentleman and scholar professor pie pod who were surveying a transcontinental turnpike from the observation platform of a jackass i want to know exclaimed the bunco man number two and suddenly a new light affecting to dawn on his brain he added as if to disarm my suspicions i see i see i have it now you are the journalist i've read about said to be well fixed first visit to chicago not much i returned been here dozens of times can't say i'm well fixed though with only a dollar and a half to my name at this stage of the dialogue i saw a police station come with me i said i want to procure a license and then we'll have a smile and to my utter surprise and gratification both men stepped off the car and followed me like faithful dogs into the police station where's the chief of police i inquired of a man in uniform who stepped toward me right here before you was the answer well arrest these bunco steerers i said dropping my odd-looking luggage and laying a hand on each man's shoulder i never saw greater astonishment and embarrassment than was expressed by these two confidence men at being so easily trapped by their uncle rube this man met me at the train when my depot came in i continued excitedly in lapsus linguis he knew my name business and previous condition of fortune and put me on a car where he introduced this pal of his and if i hadn't been forewarned against such fellows by my uncle hiram and caught on to the game i would have been robbed by this time and chucked into the sewer this was enough for the chief he seized each man by the collar instantly the first man found his tongue and tried to explain matters and finally did so to the satisfaction of all concerned but what a surprise party for pie pod well 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 i exclaimed my heart thumping like a pile driver as i realized my embarrassing predicament who would have thought it mr adams of course my dear sir how stupid of me i have wronged you and your friend unmercifully when i telegraphed you the chief here loosened his hold on the men i never thought you would attempt to meet me at the train let alone have time to your address of one thirty one six o nine wellington avenue i suppose must be near to the state line chicago has grown so couldn't conceive how you could reach the depot before tomorrow of course it was up to me to treat 
So I left my saddlebags and going to a cigar store purchased a dime's worth of cheroots and did myself nobly by the chief and the confidence men whose faces were bloated and red on my return then my forgiving host took me to his distant home where after dinner we enjoyed a smoke of his own cigars and a hearty laugh over my exceptional initiation to Chicago life while smoking and chatting my host happened to mention a big mass meeting to be held that evening at Lincoln Turner Hall The doors were to be opened at 8 o'clock. It was now 730 at once I explained my financial stress and told him that the object of my advance trip by train Was to try to make enough money to continue my donkey journey Adam suggested that that being the case we should attend the meeting by all means so we hurried off arriving at the hall my host introduced me to an officer of the league who escorted us both to seats on the platform with a number of vice presidents and their wives and mother-in-laws after several orators had spoken among them being carter harrison soon to be elected mayor of chicago the chairman reminded the audience of pythagoras pod and his celebrated donkey macaroni of whom they had read saying that the meeting was honored with the professor's presence and then he introduced me after having said I needed no introduction It was five minutes before I could hear myself speak and not being there for that purpose I didn't say much But my speech seemed to tickle the audience and when I had concluded the chairman suggested that my histrionic plug hat Be passed around the hall on the inside And so it was and do you believe it was returned to me with more wealth than I had possessed before at any one time on my pilgrimage The two days following were busy ones I contracted for the manufacture of a quantity of buttons Containing the picture of pie pod on his donkey and arranged for the meeting with the manager of a large patent medicine concern on my return to the city with macaroni then after a day's rest I returned Sunday evening to South Bend, Indiana to find my donkey and dog well and delighted to see me But myself suffering for the first time with malaria I had a severe chill on reaching the hotel and all night long. I rolled and tossed with a fever now This was doubtless the result of my evening travels through the swamps and lowlands of the Hoosier state at midnight I sent a bellboy for quinine and by feeding on the medicine liberally for several hours I broke up the fever by morning But still my bones ached I had no appetite and was in no form to travel at noon I forced down a little soup paid my bills and set out for New Carlisle walking the whole distance 14 miles by sunset Mac was so slow that his shadow beat him to town my muscles and joints still ached and I passed another sleepless night Next day I pushed on to Laporte 14 miles further and went to bed feeling a wreck But as the chills and fever failed to return I enjoyed sleep My Chicago trip was a boon to me. I gave no thought to money-making for the present Wednesday morning feeling in better spirits. I started for Valparaiso and covered the 22 miles on foot by dark and relished a hearty supper thus far the week had been cold and damp and cloudy the roads where they were not muddy were very sandy and mac and i made slow headway the following night was spent in hobart 
where I was entertained at an amusing though distressing cockfight, and all day Friday I tramped or waded in sand six inches deep to the next town, Hammond, where I passed a restless night in spite of my now restored health. In the morning I learned that the state line runs not only through the town, but also the very house and bedroom I occupied. My bed was directly on the line, and somehow any position I got in brought that line across some part of my body. Dull, monotony, and bad weather distinguished the next day's journey. A rainstorm met us halfway to Chicago and wet us all the way. But on Palm Sunday we progressed under more genial skies. I observed many Pacific law-abiding people with prayer books, bottles, and shotguns, either on their way to church to a fishing stream or to the woods and we came upon a tandem bicycle party the machine broken down the young man and woman apparently broken up she sat on a stone against a telephone pole with chin in her hands watching the gallant fellow who was at her feet on his kneecaps with a monkey wrench in his hands trying to repair damages from south chicago we passed into stony island boulevard and the Midway Plaisance of the World's Fair of 93. The remaining art building arched its brows at my curious outfit, and an endless chain of bicycles and carriages conveyed past us an inquisitive and gaping multitude, many of whom altered their plans to follow us into the city proper. It was six o'clock when we reached 34th Street, and I found a suitable stable for my animals. Then, affectionately patting Don's head and rubbing Mac's nose, I left them and sauntered up the avenue, heaving a sigh of infinite relief over my hard-earned triumph. As I trended the streets of that wide-awake metropolis toward its business center, I was stopped many times by truant messenger boys and idle street gamins who seemed surprisingly solicitous about the physical condition of my hat. Mr. This way to a hat store. If you want to buy a new hat, I'll take you to a hatter. This way, mister, I know a place to get a hat cheap. Say, mister, I can get your hat for nothing. Why should I wish a new hat? I asked myself indignantly. True, mine had seen better days, but it was worth more to me now than a hundred new hats. Yes, yes, you dear old weather-beaten tile, I apostrophized as I strode on with a deaf ear to my inquisitors. You are of royal stuff for you have triumphed over many wars and dissensions and still wear a crown the plebeian hats who calumniate you although fresh from a bandbox are common compared with you they are jealous of your exploits and envy you your faithful friend vividly do i recall our desperate encounters with a mad bull the hailstorms and other warring elements and that winter's night when you forgot your personal safety and made a noble self-sacrifice by receiving the assailant's bullet intended for me and again the day the awkward jackass tried to yank me off the plank footbridge underneath him in his fall when you threw your own lean frame down on the bank in place of me and received the weight which would have mashed me to death but which only squeezed the wind out of you why do all the idle clerks gaze at you so longingly from the shop windows because they covet you as a drawing card to disdaining shoppers i am proud of you rest in peace i spent the night with friend adams on his invitation monday morning i kept my appointment with a patent medicine man he received me cordially 
evidently aware of the boon I might be to his business should I enter his employ, and in order that he might better discuss my proposition and its possibilities, he invited me some miles into the country for a couple of days' outing at a mineral spring resort. A stylish coach and four met us at the train and wheeled us over a pretty rolling country in the glow of the setting sun to the cozy hotel sanitarium which was brilliantly illuminated and whose doors were open to welcome us and in less than twenty minutes pod made of his apollo form a companion piece to diana bathing the water then sold at fifty cents a gallon and there were two hundred gallons in my tub think of it I had read about beautiful actresses and heiresses taking milk baths and champagne baths and Rochelle salt baths, but that one hundred dollar bath of mine in pure lithia water would have put all those pretty bathing women to the blush. But when, in my enthusiasm, I so told my generous host, he spoiled all my beautiful delusions at once by saying quite mechanically, Oh, two hundred gallons for a bath is nothing unusual, it's only the overflow. Next morning he asked me if I would like a magno mud bath Sir I interrogated gravely if you had dragged and pushed and carried a stubborn cantankerous donkey Through four hundred miles of red and yellow Ohio mud and two hundred miles of blue and black Indiana mud Not to mention some six hundred miles of New York and Pennsylvania mud of various hues and conditions the overflows of December January and February if you had bathed in mud waded in mud soaked in mud and cursed in mud for nearly five months and I would have put such a delicate question to you your sensibilities would be shocked your nerves paralyzed your reason ossified my host apologized and withdrew the invitation then with great wisdom and forethought he introduced me to the physician dr. Tanner the highest authority on fasting and renowned for his having fasted 40 days I considered this the luckiest meeting of my whole journey He took quite a fancy to me and gave me valuable instructions and prescriptions for fasting any period from 1 to 40 days But I was disappointed not to be enlightened on how to go several days without water That morning my host made me a liberal proposition to advertise his medicines he guaranteeing to pay me a regular weekly stipend during the remainder of my pilgrimage to the Golden Gate and Free of all charges to provide me with all the photographs of my asinine outfit that I could sell en route I Signed the contract and then we returned to Chicago End of chapter 17